Okay, this is the um, the message that I've least wanted to bring, actually, because not not because it's a bad one or negative or anything, but um, it, it's it's really just not. I like to use a lot of scriptures and stuff when I talk, but uh, killing my volume, man. All right, let's kind of get stuff. So, uh, yeah, uh, what am I saying? Yeah, hello, hello. I just need a little bit more. I remember I was at a Morris Sorello um, uh, gig once. And uh, you all remember Morris Sorello? Lovely man of God, right? And I remember all night he kept saying, Can I have some more of me in the monitor? I want more of me. And, uh, and, and we were all, you know, we're all getting into the spirit of it because, you know, that's, everyone was shouting out. And I was with all these, like, black Christians and they were all shouting at Morris Sorello and stuff. And, uh, and I thought, yeah, I'm, you know, there was me and a couple of other white guys in the crowd, so we thought we'd shout with them. And then, and then there was this one bit where he quotes this scripture and he says, And you know what happens next? And I went, the Holy Spirit. And at the top of his voice, he went, no. Pointed me out in front of everyone. I just sank down in my chair. And all these people just looked at me like, well, you're the idiot in the room of 5,000 people. <coughs> you got it now, have you? Yeah. Okay, right. So I, this is the one that I've, I've really not wanted to talk about because I, I, kind, of, I kind of feel... I, I, I love God and he's my best friend but sometimes I do feel like he, he tricks me and, um, and, I, and I kind of feel like I was talking to so, some people earlier and I, just the last few years have just been uh, an unexpected journey for us and I've kind of been pushed in this corner and like you've been shoehorned into this, into this mould and you will go in this mould. And, you know, as I said earlier, as we've been going through, you know, so you know the process from 2018, that Brexit prophecy and about monastic communities and stuff. You know, I just prophesied. I had no idea that I was end up going to be coming something to plant something like that. This is that wasn't what my intention. I just wanted to be a regular church planter. And then COVID happened. And then then this field happened. And then the allotment happened. And then and then everything else just fell into place. And then now the building project that we're, we're going to start doing. And, and it's just like, whether I like it or not, I'm going in that direction. And it's going to happen whether I want to or not. God just seems to be doing it. And and so what I'm going to share tonight is a little bit about where do we go from here. Now, first of all, can I ask people to put their hands up who are not members of Living Word Church? Okay, so I just want to say thank you to you. Uh, we're all deeply humbled by you being here, and we really appreciate you being here. Um, so you've been a great encouragement to us as well. It's nice to know there's some other crazy people in the land. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay, so... This is difficult for me to talk about because what I, with the prophetic, it's very vague and it's very specific, isn't it? Yeah, yeah sometimes it seems so clear and still it's so vague. Um, and so I'm going to share some things that I believe God has um, shown me over the years about where we're going as a church. And, and you're going to see a lot of changes over the next few years. But before we get to those changes, as you know, uh, I'm sure most of you in this room knows that things are not going to get any easier anytime soon. That We are, we are heading for something quite major. And um, and so with that, you know, the church needs to be prepared. But the thing is, it's not just about being prepared physically. You know, we do need to be prepared physically, but we need to be prepared spiritually. And I believe also we need to understand fundamentally the, the where God wants his church to go as well. And and this is really key. and This is really important because although we are out of season now, because we are, we're coming into season and we're coming into season quicker. Hang on a second. 
just uh, kill, there we go. And so we're, we're getting into, sorry Zach, I didn't know you were over there. And so we're, we're moving in further and further into season, but at the moment we're still out of season. Now, I've been sharing things about all sorts of stuff, you know, about things like really weird stuff like liturgy and things like that. And why, why am I going down this road? Because I tried to stop going down this road. I didn't want to do this. So there was a time where I thought, I'm not going to do this anymore because this is just, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. And, and then I had that after a couple of days, God let me have a little rest. And then after a couple of days, then I had this dream. And in this dream, the audible voice of God spoke to me and said, I need you to be praying with the church. And so I knew I had to go back to what I was doing. So it seems no matter what I do, I am being shoehorned and pushed in a certain direction. And, and it's uncomfortable. And I know that there's a coming persecution in that as well. Because of the things that I'm saying, the things that we're pushing the church towards. And there will be a lot of people that won't like it. Because there will be a lot of people that don't want to go that way. And that's fine. I'm not saying what I'm going to share tonight is what you must do. Because I'm not saying that at all. But I believe that something's coming. It's, it's not a reformation which caused a divorce in the church, but a reformation which is bringing a marrying together again. And, and, and God wants to bring this reformation. He wants to bring and blend this ancient with the modern. This is really quite key for where we're going. So um, in putting this, and also another thing I need to make clear is that this is very much a British picture. This is not true for America. This is not true for any other nation. I'm aware of God's always been saying the same thing to me. This is a British thing. This is specific to Britain. And I want God's people to come back to the ancient past. Now, when we hear that term, the ancient past, we all immediately will default to something that we think what that might be. Sorry, I'm still buzzing here. And, uh, and so with that, um, we all conjure up you know, what we think those ancient pasts might look like. Um, and I thought I knew what those ancient pasts looked like, but I was surprised. And, and God kept saying to me over and over that this coming revival that, that is not going to be like previous revivals, it, but it is and it isn't, in that it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be quite traditional. So, so, for example, in the Great Awakening, it was a real um, revival of the words. The church just got on fire for the scriptures again. And then, then after that great awakening came a revival of the spirit. So the spiritual gifts came back into the church again. But I, but I, I think we're going to get a revival in this land, which is going to blend things that we've long left behind with things of the modern. Because I personally think, uh, and this is just my opinion, that the modern day church has come as far as she can go now. Because, you know, every church has literally been born out of a movement. Okay, you know, the first church in the Bible was born out of a prayer movement. Amen. They were in the upper, upper room. They pray, 120 of them all praying. And then suddenly at the day of Pentecost, the church was born. And you need to remember that the church was born from a prayer meeting. Amen. That's where the church is born. It's born from the place of prayer. Um, and and, I, and I, you know, I've been emphasizing and emphasizing and emphasizing. But whether we like it or not, this is the road we're going down. Because when things start hitting the fan, people just start to pray. Heck, even the non-Christians start to pray. Amen. Everybody starts to pray when, when things hit the fan. And as a church, we need to be ready. Not only ready, but I believe God wants us to model things. Uh, now, with this model, it's not a specific model. It's like this is exactly it and you must all do exactly this. Because these things are adaptable and variable to where we are. But I do believe that this is something that God wants to say. So I'm going to get into it now. 
But it's in one sense it's all quite vague, and in another in essence it's quite specific. Now I want to talk a little bit about uh, monasteries again, because I know some of you are thinking, I don't connect with this, this is not really where I'm at. And I get that and I appreciate it. And I was in your camp. You know, I, I didn't get it and I didn't appreciate it. But, but this is really important, I believe, for the future of the church in this nation. God wants houses of prayer in this nation again. Now you're going to get some places that are houses of prayer that are not necessarily a missional church. You're going to still get missional churches that are not houses of prayer. But I also believe that God's going to make this reformation of churches that are houses of prayer. Anyway, what's the difference? There's a big difference. Culturally, there's a big difference. Because how a church is, a typical average church, they're very into uh, social outreach, caring for the poor. All these things are good. Yeah, uh, and all these uh, and all these programs and home groups and all this kind of stuff, and we have a nice busy church, and it all looks good, and it's all very professional, it's all re- all very well and good, but the heart of it isn't there. The heart of the church needs to be a praying community. That absolutely has to be the DNA. Why does it have to be the DNA? Because we are priests and we need to come back to the realisation and the understanding that this is what we are. Man, I, I believe God has shown me things of the future that are so incredible that it's based on the fact that we understand who we are as priests in Christ Jesus. That we are just flowing in the things of the Spirit, hallelujah. But not just things in the Spirit and being right out there, but we're completely grounded as well and doing some crazy stuff like using prayer books and stuff. I mean, I've seen this. It doesn't make any sense. Surely, if there's going to be a revival, we're just into all the Holy Spirit stuff. Why do we have to blend blend the traditional stuff? I don't know, but God wants to do it. I just know that I know that I know that it's his heart. He absolutely wants this to happen. Hallelujah. Prayer school. We run a thing called prayer school. Now this, I'm just going to just go through some random points and join it all together somehow, hopefully at the end. We've been running a thing called prayer school. And so we've been teaching things like we did earlier on today, Lectio Divina. Now, how many people have never done that before? Put your hand up. Okay, so quite a lot have and, quite, and some haven't. Okay, how did you find it? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, it's really quite profound. And it's really quite profound when you do it in the context of community as well. And so we were, we were getting people coming as far as London to this prayer school. And uh, one particular lady, she was saying, you know, I've been in church all my life. And I've never really got church and church has never really got me. But she said, but for the first time in this place, I understand what church is. But we're not doing anything profound. We're just meditating on scripture and we're just praying and we're just sharing to one another. Nothing that I'm going to say tonight is like this radical new thing of the spirit that's never been seen before. It really is nothing new under the sun. This is just completely going back to where we've come from. Hallelujah. So, you know, as charismatics, we're really good at supplication, intercession and worship. But there's also another aspect. You know, I often hear Christians say to me, oh, I never I, I don't you know, I, I just I just natter to God all day long. And that's my prayer life. But you see, the Bible also says you can't take scripture out of context or just pick one bit, not another. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. And when you pray, go into your room and lock the door and pray to your father who is in secret and he will reward you openly for what you do in secret. There is absolutely a place 
where we have to come before God and make time daily, whether it's in the morning or in the evening, depending on how you're wired, to spend time with the living God. It is an absolute essential. And it, I'm surprised at how many Christians and, dare I say, church leaders that do not do even do this. They're just busy about their day. This is, this is not God's will. And I think a reason why the, we're in such a mess that we're in today is in part because we've drifted from the anchor of Scripture, but we've also drifted from the fact that we're just not in love with Jesus anymore. We're not passionate enough about him. And it's not about passionate as in drumming myself into a frenzy during a worship time, but it is actually coming to that place and, and once again just falling to my knees and falling in love with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that spending time in his presence is not the last thing that I've got on my list of things to do, but it's the first thing that's on my list of things to do. Because if I haven't got Jesus, everything else is a waste of time. Amen. Without Jesus being the center of my life, my family's a waste of time. You're going, Chris, you shouldn't say things like that. Without, without Jesus being the center of my life, the church is a waste of time. Without Jesus being the center of everything that I am, everything in my life is a waste of time. Because everything is from the place of Christ. Christ-centric, prayer-centric. Everything comes from that relationship with God. Hallelujah. Everything comes from that relationship with God. And I tell you, I, I've, I, I yearn and I yearn and I yearn to know God more and more and more and more. And he's not far off and he's not remote and he's not distant, but he's the true and living God and he's here with us. Going back to my uh, theme now. So monasteries, okay? Now, they, in the good old days, they used to be the center. You may or may not know this, but they were the center of town life. They were the center of commerce. They were the center of the economy. They were the center of the liturgical calendar. So everything, the seasons when you're planting and harvesting, all synced into the liturgical, that's the church calendar. And so people, they had prayers and everything was just, this whole life was revolved around this rhythm of life around them, which modern day Christianity is completely disconnected from. You know, we get people that don't even know where chips come from. I'm not lying to you. They don't know where chips come from. And you're thinking, what's a chip? I'm not talking American packet of crisps. I'm talking, you know, dip, deep fried, you know, potatoes in, in chips, right? People don't know where they come from. This is how far removed our society is. And this is how far removed Christians are as well. God wants there to be a link between Christianity, and this sounds a bit hippie, but back to the land again. Because you see, brothers and sisters, and I, and I say this on my Blueprint series, that there is a place where the priests have to go out and they heal the land. And so when we are a praying community and we're praying literally over the soil and we're working the soil, we're praying healing into our land again. Because, you know, this Second uh, Chronicles 7, if my people will humble themselves and pray and turn away from their wickedness, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Our land is defiled with so much sin. Our, our land is defiled by so much pollution. I'm not talking natural pollution, I'm talking spiritual defilement. On so many accounts, sexual immorality, debauchery, drugs. There's just one thing after another, uh, child trafficking, adult trafficking. There's such awful things that are going on in our society right now. And our land is defiled. And God wants to bring healing to our land, but he, but he can't do it unless we come into alignment with his plan.
Now, another thing about uh, monasteries is that they were places of enterprise. So monks made things like honey, they made beer, they made books that were sold. And when King Henry VIII, he dissolved all the monasteries, it literally ripped the heart of the economy out of this country. I think it took like another 80 to 100 years before our economy started growing again. That's how important these houses and these centers of prayer were. They were literally hubs of the community in so many ways. And this is what God wants for his church. He wants his church to be these hubs again where it's not, you know, everything's at Asda's or everything's global, but everything's local again and everything revolves around the kingdom of God and that the kingdom of God is blessing the communities around them. Hallelujah. So, as I said, as a prophet, I said this uh, this morning, as a prophet, I've ended up living my own uh, message. Sorry, I shouldn't actually say I'm a prophet. I don't actually declare I'm a prophet. I just what I've written in my notes here. But I found that giving the prophecy, I've ended up becoming the message itself. And uh, has anyone else experienced that, where you become the message? Because the church needs to be ready for these times of which we're coming into. So that means we need to be preparing. We need to be preparing in the natural, but we need to be preparing and sowing in the spiritual. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a church leader and I am so discontented with the church as she currently stands. I'm not criticizing the church because I love the church, but I know in my heart of hearts that something's not right, that it's not ticking the boxes, that there's something inside of me that's saying, this, there's something just not being touched here. There's a chord that's not being struck. I mean, how many people, be honest with you, uh, be honest with me rather, uh, put your hand up if you feel that there's a discontentment within you in respect to, to church as we know it, okay? There is something that's amiss. There's something that's not quite right. And for a long time, I've been really disconnected, not disconnected, um, just disconcerted with how I've been feeling about things. And, you know, things in the future are going to look really, really bleak where we're going. But man, I, I, I just know that in that bleakness, there is hope. In that bleakness, there is a joy that is coming. In that bleakness, there's some wonderful things that God is going to do in these days. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, I... Lord, I, I can't convey in words, Lord. I pray you help me, Jesus. I cannot convey in words what, what you want to say tonight, Lord. I just can't convey, Lord, this, this message, Lord Jesus. I can't convey it. I pray you help me right now in Jesus' name. Help me, Lord Jesus. Help me to impart what it is that you want to say, Lord God. Help me, Lord Jesus, I pray. Hallelujah. 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 Glory be to you, Lord Jesus. Glory be to you, Lord Jesus. God wants to restore his church. And uh, the other day, I picked up this book. And has anyone read this book called Punk Monk? Yeah, no, probably not. Um, <laughs> anyway, so it's, uh, I think it's, uh, what's his name? Pete Gregg book, so it's not weird. And on the back of this book, I was really shocked to see this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm sure many of you have heard of him. But he was an amazing man in his time. And he really, I wouldn't call him a prophet in the way that we would say, but he really understood that if things didn't change, this was where the church was going. And he's right on the money. The church is today what he predicted back about 40 odd years ago. Um, and he says here, um, well, actually longer than 40 years ago because it was around the Second World War. He says, the restoration of the church 
will surely come from a sort of new monasticism which has in common with the old only the uncompromising attitude of a life lived according to the Sermon of the Mount in the, fo- in, uh, in the following of Christ. And I believe it is not time to call the people to do this at this time. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer said himself all those years ago that the future of the church lies in a, form, a new form of new monasticism. I personally think that this was this is a Christian intellect. He knew what he was talking about. I find it really exciting, really interesting that this is what he's saying that the church needs to be if we're going to go forward. Now, I'm not going to talk about new monasticism today or all that kind of stuff. There's plenty of people that do a, good, a better job than that than I will. People like Pete Gregg read a lot of his books. Um, he's done some great stuff on that. But there is a hunger in the world right now for coming back to a deeper relationship with God. There is a hunger that people want to come back to prayer. So, for example, there's a Catholic app called the Hallowed app. That's had 10 million installs. It's had 225 million prayers completed on the app so far. Then we've got other apps like Lectio 360 by people like Pete Gregg. Then another one by him is the Inner Room. Then we have others called iBrevery, which is which is basically a monastic brevery online. And it's free, so it'll save you a lot of money. Then there's the Divine Office. There's Time to Pray. There's Just Pray um, and various other things. And then, of course, going on around the world now, we've got the IHOP movement. We've got the Prayer 24-7 movement. Okay, This stuff's been going on for a long time. But guess what, church? It's not going on out there anymore. It's It's starting to come, it's knocking on the church's door and it's saying to the church, you need to pay attention to this. And not only do you need to pay attention to this, you need to let this in your doors because the future of the survival of the church in the UK must be a praying church. Because if we're not a praying church, we are going, as we're going right now, into a tremendous train wreck. Because we just are not praying. We're not taking it seriously. I, I, you know, we hear Christians saying, oh, there's some terrible stuff that's going on in our nation right now. But why are you not at the prayer meetings? Why are you not on your knees praying and travailing and crying out and agonizing for this nation? Because if the saints don't pray and if the saints don't stand in the gap, then who will stand in the gap? Who will pray and who will save this nation? Because the onus is on to us. It's Ezekiel, isn't it? He says, if there's no one to stand in the gap, then who will stay my hand? It's on us. It's our responsibility. It's our joy. And it's our privilege as priests unto God to bear this prayer movement that God wants to bring back to the church. Because this nation will not be built on the back when it crashes off the, of the backs of politicians and great men and women. It will be born on the backs of those that get on their knees. It will be born on the backs of those that travail in prayer. And those will be the saints that will receive great reward when they come into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus will say to them, well done good and faithful servant you are more interested in being on your knees than being on your soapbox hallelujah that was a quote write that one down you do have a list of quotes hallelujah and I believe in these days as well because because where we're going churches can't afford to be in disunity either we're going to see I I really believe we're going to see and I'm going to talk about this tomorrow um, things coming, people coming together in ways that you've never thought possible. I mean, at, at, at our prayer school, guess who we've, <laughs> guess who we have coming now? The Catholics. Okay, and it's great. It's such. I love these guys. Right, they're they're so they're so much fun. But what's really fun is when they say something that like 
all the Protestants in the room go, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I just sit there with a big grin on my face and say, like, how are they going to work this one out? Um, but, it, but that's what God wants. He, he wants his people to come back together. He wants a reformation, not a reformation of divorce, but a reformation of coming back together to being a people that just come before the Father, that just come before Jesus and just want to take him seriously. And they just want to pray. And I need to say this, that prayer is more important than evangelism, that prayer is more important than feeding the poor. Prayer is more important than anything else on this earth. Some people would like to take me to task for that but it is absolutely true because if you're giving food to the poor but you're not giving them the power of the gospel then all you're doing is giving them food and they can go to hell with a full belly what they need to know is they need to have a full belly but they need to know the power of God and the power of the gospel in their lives so that it will change them and transform them and set them free and the only people that get changed transformed and set free are those people that have been prayed for amen 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 Hallelujah. And this is something else that God was showing me that um, in Acts 2, when God poured out his spirit, did they all pro- did they all speak in one language? No, they prophesied. Uh, sorry, they spoke in other people's tongues. Um, and some people say, oh, no, they only heard it in their own language. That's not what because. Well, actually, no, because it says I think it's in verse four of that chapter. It says the Holy Spirit gave them utterance to speak. So they did actually speak. Some people say, no, they didn't speak it. They only heard it. No, they spoke it. Okay, and people heard it in their own tongues. Why is this important? Because God um, loves diversity. Now, I know that that's a dirty word right now, but God actually loves diversity. He doesn't want everybody to be Protestant. (laughs) But he doesn't. Where else is there to go? I know what you're thinking. Where else is there to go? Okay, he doesn't want everybody to be Anglican. All right, let me play that game then. He doesn't want everyone to be Anglican. Yeah? Right? He doesn't want everyone to be charismatic. God will speak to people where they're at. God wants to minister to people where they're at. You see, we live in a culture where we like to have this big melting pot. Okay, let's get the let's get the Hindus, let's get the Indians, let's get the Irish, let's get the Scottish, chuck them in a big melting pot, and maybe we'll get some kind of lovely, wonderful, gooey culture that will come out of it. That's the world's way of doing things. But God respects culture. God respects the differences between people. God respects the differences, dare I say, and I know this will upset you, even between different denominations. Because whether you like it or not, you are from a tribe. You are from a family. Because you wouldn't be sat here if you weren't crazy people that like the prophetic. (laughs) Is that not true? Okay, so we all have a tribe and God speaks to each of those tribes in a way that's representative to them. And therefore, when when God's going to start bringing things together... He showed me this wonderful picture, which I'll talk about on Sunday. But God's going to bring things together in such a beautiful way. But you don't lose your identity. You keep your identity. You will keep and retain who you are because that's what God wants. He doesn't want you to be like everybody else. He doesn't want everyone else to be like you. But this is the thing with Christians is we want uniformity. We must have the most perfect doctrinal statement and everybody must believe it. And then we can all get along. Rubbish. You will never get two people agreeing on everything about anything. Okay? I know for a fact that I could say some stuff right now, I could say it, and I would divide the room probably into five different camps. 
Yeah, and that's just how it is. So if you're looking for uniformity through doctrinal correctness, that's not going to come either. So I'm not stating the fact that, oh, we must have perfect doctrine, or I'm not stating the fact that we go and, you know, uh, join other churches which are into crazy stuff. But I am saying that God is going to embrace other people's diversity, whether we like that or not. And he wants to bring that diversity together. We also see this in heaven. I'll give you one scripture. In Revelation 21, 26, let's have a quick turn there if you've got a Bible. Revelation 21, verse 26. I love this one. And it says, so I'll look at it from verse 24. The nations will walk, this is in the new Jerusalem, okay? So this is after the millennial reign, a new heaven and a new earth has been made. So this is like really in the future. The nations will walk by its light, the light of this uh, new Jerusalem. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there because the gates will never be closed. And they will bring the glory and honour of the nations into it. The Greek word there for nations is ethnos. But Chris, I thought it said in Galatians, we're all one, in, we're all one new man in Christ, where there is no Jew, where there is no Gentile, where there is no male, where there is no female. Okay, so what does that mean? We all go to heaven, we become these genderless, colourless things in heaven. All right, because that's not what this is saying here. And then if I go down to chapter 22 and verse 2, it says, In the midst of the street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding the fruit every month, and leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. So if you're Welsh, okay, this is lovely, when you get to heaven, okay, you'll still be Welsh. In it, okay. So when you get to heaven, you'll still be Welsh. If you're Scottish, you'll still be Scottish. There are some crazy ideas out there that as soon as you become a Christian, you become a Jew. You don't become a Jew. You keep retain your ethnicity. We also know in in Romans where it talks about the wild olives being grafted into the natural olive tree. Guess what happens to the wild olive? It stays wild. And guess what fruit it produces? Wild fruit. God wants Gentiles to to bear Gentile fruit. He doesn't want Gentiles to be Jewish. And he doesn't want Jews to be Gentile. That's why Paul says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 7, stay as what you remain. If you are circumcised, don't seek to be uncircumcised. If you're uncircumcised, don't seek to be circumcised. Yeah? If you're a Gentile, stay a Gentile. In other words, God loves you for who you are. God loves your diversity. God loves the way that you are. You don't need to be transformed into something else just to go along with the mould or to fit in with some other church's idea of what is a normal, what is a Christian. Because God celebrates this diversity. Anyway, I'm, I'm kind of ranting a bit. Coming on to a close in a minute. So God wants to bring back this ancient and modern rhythm of prayer. And uh, this is a rebirth of that which has been lost to this nation, I believe, since the Reformation and the closure of those communities of prayer. And there is a new uprising. It is on the boil and it is bubbling away under the lid of the pot, so to speak. But we have an opportunity to not be behind the curve. We've got an opportunity like, OK, if this is what God is going to do, I mean, come on, guys, we've all said, oh, if there was a revival, I want to be in it. I want to be a part of it. Well, I believe this is what's coming. So instead of like being like, oh, I'm a big, big surprise. I never saw that coming. Why don't we get ready now? Start preparing ourselves and start building towards this. Start working towards this kind of community. And some of you might be thinking, well, you know, I, we're just a little prayer group or we're just a little house church. How can we do this sort of stuff? But we'll do a Q&A in a minute and you can ask me and I'll hopefully have some answers for you. But I want to end with this, is that uh, God wants to blend ancient Britain, British Christianity 
with the modern church and that I believe it will be an intoxicating blend that has the mission and the diversity and the power to be a next generation apostolic church which will take this nation for Christ by storm. I absolutely believe that and I just church is not going to last the way it's going and unfortunately when things start to hit economically over the next two years you will see many churches close because they're simply not ready for this they simply are not prepared for what's coming in fact most Christians just are not ready for what's coming you know uh, you need to pay off every debt that you can pay off now if you can pay off your mortgage pay it off now get rid of every debt that you can get rid of now you have an opportunity still even at this moment in time mortgages are still cheap okay you're thinking well so five six percent that's not cheap chris it's been zero or two percent for, for for so long now that's not normal normal interest rates are eight percent and then what happens above that that's where it hurts okay so what we're experiencing now is coming back to normal and then it's going to go way beyond normal okay we've got some tough stuff coming so if you can pay down your mortgage if you can do it get rid of it and I do believe that's from the Lord saying that if you've got debts get rid of it get rid of them now pay them off do whatever you can do whatever you can if it's credit card debt get rid of it whatever kind of debt it is get rid of it because you need to be free and you need to be a place where you can stand tall and you can stand confident and you can trust in the Lord and not be anxious and have many cares in this life because of silly mistakes that we've all made in the past and so I want to end it there but I want to want to uh, and we'll move into the second part of this tomorrow which is really about the church becoming one and I want to leave it now just for for the next 10 minutes just a quick Q&A just like you can ask questions etc so uh, you all know me you've all heard of me you've all seen the things that I've said so is there any anybody who's got any questions like how do you do this and what's this and we've heard this and what does that mean anyone any got anyone questions what does a typical day look like in the monastery that you see that you oh, ask a question prayer? how would that be okay so I, I can appreciate some people think why why would you want to do that monastery thing what what is the point of it uh, I spent uh, I think a few months back I spent the, a few days at Worth Abbey and so because I wanted to see what does this look like for real every day with with like these people living in this life now I'm not saying we're all going to become monks okay I'm not saying that at all I'm not in case you're thinking like is, is he going to ask me to become celibate no uh, that's not where we're going it's just it's just the rhythms of prayer and stuff and so one of the things that shocked me about these guys bear in mind they're very liturgical very traditional was the presence of God in that place every time that they sang the Psalms the presence of God was so thick okay and then when they did the mass the presence of God was even thicker in fact it was almost chokingly thick I haven't experienced the presence of God that strong in, in any places for a long time and so and then throughout the day the monks come into the into the big sort of chapel area and they just literally go Ugh because the presence of God is so strong. I mean, these guys are more charismatic than we are. They've got the presence of God stronger than, than, than we've ever had. I and mean, we, we try to get the presence of God at our church and we've never seen that. So in answer to your question, the, the, basically you have rhythms of prayer throughout the day. Uh, and then throughout the day when you're not doing prayer, there's times of work, then there's a time to eat, then there's times of meditation on the word and various other things. So. So because work is actually a key part of that. I'm sorry for Christians that might not like going to work, but that is actually a, a major part of the life. So it's very simple, but what I love about it is there's no reason why you and I can't do it in our own homes. And this is why I think 
like these prayer book things is really important because it means that you don't need to be in the same building in the same place and same space as everyone else you can be at home but if we all know that we're praying the same prayers at certain times of the day there's a real unity and a real power in that that i believe god wants to bring back to the body of christ yeah amen uh, anyone else come on must be must be a couple don't don't be frightened Yeah, we're all the way back there. Okay, three months of food storage. Okay, I'm getting hardcore now. Um, so th- the reason why we, why I said that was because uh, my wife had this dream, and, and I had a similar dream as well, where <coughs> where that suddenly um, this this wave hit this nation, and it and it was so devastating, it took everything out. So for three months, nothing moved because the whole economy was literally paralyzed. But then after three months, things started to move again and things started to grow again. So it's not the end of the world sort of scenario, but it was quite bad. And so that's why we as a church, we decided then um, after, mu- after much prayer and thinking, okay, we're going to have a storage of three months worth of food. So we do have three months worth of food stored so that we can give every member in our church uh, one good hot cooked meal, which they're going to have to cook each day. Um, and so, and then part of that is the veg and stuff that we're growing as well. So that is really what we're doing here. We're, we're those crazy people that grow veg because it's the end of the world. Um, not really. We don't believe it's the end of the world. We just believe that we're coming into difficult times, and this has to be to protect the church. Just like um, Joseph in his time, he knew that a famine was coming, so he prepared for it. Because there are some people that are very super spiritual. It's like they do absolutely nothing and think it's just all up to Jesus. Well, there is truth to that. The name Joseph means God will act that which is lacking. But nevertheless, there's a responsibility. If you've been told and you know, there's still a responsibility to do the best that you can. And then after that, then God can add that which is lacking. Anyone else? Yeah. Okay. So he's asked, is there any other churches that we know of that are becoming more monastic, etc.? Now, I know this might sound strange to some of you. As I've already said, in the times that we're coming into, you're going to see a resurgence of house churches, which are obviously not going to be monasteries. Uh, That's going to be something that's going to be going along as well. But yes, in answer to your question, there are. Um, And we, it was about two years ago, we were at Andrea Williams' house and she had various people there from around the country and I was shocked at how many people just got, got up and said, you know, this is what I believe God is saying for us to do. This is what I believe God is saying for us to do. And it was all exactly the same thing that we felt God was saying to us. So we're not the only people out there doing this. There are lots of Christians that are thinking about it. There are a lot of Christians that are thinking about it and don't know where to go with it. But there are some Christians out there that are doing a really good job of it. And uh, in respect to uh, prepping and all that kind of stuff, you know, I've got a good friend. His name's John Julian. He lives down in Cornwall. He's got 127 acres. He's built all of these houses. So for for Christian community, he's completely self-sufficient. They've got their own energy, their wood sources, everything so that they can live there during a time of of great crisis. And they've got like one of their barns acts as a church and stuff as well. So there are there are communities out there that are what we would call extreme, but actually really taking this seriously because God gave him a vision and a word. Waverly Abbey. Waverly Abbey, yeah. That's another one as well from the Prayer 24-7 movement. They are modelling that monastic kind of community, uh, very much in a modern day context, which, which as it should be. Um, and, and they're doing a really good job of it. And so Waverly Abbey is becoming an education centre, it's becoming a prayer centre. 
you know, it's they're, so they're doing it. So that Pete Gregg is doing it. So you all know who he is. So it's something that he's really pushing and uh, moving towards as well. Anyone else? Yeah. It's interesting that Titchfield Abbey was one of the core places where the monks, canon monks, were trained. And uh, Henry VIII uh, targeted that place to shut it down, and that shut the monasteries over the whole of Britain. Yeah, uh, no. That. So it's no. interesting that we should be here at this time. It, it, you know, it's near location for this. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I agree. It's quite, it's quite uncanny what God seems to be doing. Uh, he was saying that the the Titchfield Abbey, which is where the where the white monks were, and it was like a training centre for lots of the monks in the UK. So they trained them here and they sent them out. But when King Henry VIII shut this particular one down, it was quite strategic because it shut down many of the others as well. Uh, incidentally, they didn't all get killed or anything. They just all got pensioned off and they just went off and did their thing and just lived their life quite happily, I guess, but not in a monastery. Okay, a couple more questions and then we'll bring it to a close. Any any questions about things that I've said over the last few years that you're not sure of? If you have non-church member, would you support those people who will be awake on that time when they are two months? Yeah, yeah. So the question is, would would we help uh, non-church members at that time? You know, when things get bad. The simple answer is yes, because Joseph, his primary calling was to protect Israel, but actually Egypt got really blessed by it as well. And so I do believe that. This is the thing that makes me sad, this is what breaks my heart, is the church isn't going to be ready to equip and to prepare for herself, let alone be ready to help Egypt. And we, we really do need to be in a place because that's the mission field. It's going to be on your doorstep. People are just going to be coming. And if they see that you've got an answer and you've already prepped and you're already ready, you know, these people are just going to be, they're just, you know, they just be coming into the kingdom. It's our opportunity. It's our chance to do things. It's a, it's a strategy it's, and it makes perfect sense to me. Anyone else? Yeah? Craig? You talked last night about the banks and um, you talked now about debt. Do you have any thoughts on cash or the money system in general? Oh, yeah, cash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There, there, there is, obviously, um, because we're moving into it. Now, I know some people see this as a big conspiracy thing, but the fact is, is we are living in a digital age and everything's being pushed that way all the time because it's quick, it's convenient and it's easy. Um, are you asking respects to what, what use will cash be in that time? Yeah, well, my wife had this particular dream and in this dream she was walking past Barclays Bank and uh, the bank manager was outside and everyone was just throwing their cash at him, laughing at him because the money was worthless because once the crash happens, money becomes devalued and so it was just worthless. They were just throwing their money at him and, and laughing and then Tracy saw this angel and she said to this angel, no, the angel said to my wife, this is the end but not the end. So it's the end of things as we know it and we move then into another season, so to speak. Uh, but don't be frightened by this. I mean, just look in your history books. This happened before in the 19, late 1930s and the 40s. But during that time was some of the greatest moves of God and the greatest explosion of the church at that time. So for me, this is a giant missionary opportunity. This is a giant mission to get the church to get loads of people saved. There's a massive harvest out there, but we need to be on the forefront of this if we're going to be there to help these people. But it's not just about having food in the pantry. It has to be being spiritually ready to cope with what's coming as well. That we have to be a people that have done time with God, that we've taken Egypt out of our hearts. We've got all that nonsense out of our hearts so that we can serve God with a true heart and not walk 
in fear and tumult, but actually have our game together and walk in a place of peace in a world of trouble. <coughs> yes, yeah. Okay, there might be um, some people that can't go out and buy a whole acre farm. Yeah. Or half an acre farm. But do you have like a sort of network where you know, groups of people can get together um, and, and, and buy an acre together and nurture, tend or whatever it is with the, with the land? Yeah, so the question is, you know, if you can't afford to buy an acre of land, how can you, you know, get access to land and stuff and can you create a community? There are communities of people out there that really want to do this. There are communities of people out there around this nation that are already doing this. They're, and some of them are monastic, modern monastic communities. They're like little prayer farms and stuff. They're just normal people like me and you. They're not monks or anything. And they're already doing this. Um, another thing that I would suggest is that, you know, you've got to think outside the box a little bit. Don't think it's all on you. You know, so for example, you know, I don't have a lot of money per se, so, you know, what am I going to do to provide for all these people? But when you start doing things in the context of a community, you, can, you have a lot more power. So you might have a, have a nurse or a doctor in your midst, and it's like, right, if we have any medical problems, you're the person that we'll come to. You're really good at gardening, can you help and teach us how to grow stuff? You know, you've got a lot of money, can you help finance some of these things? You know, and that's how you've got to think. As I said yesterday, the day of me, myself, I and Jesus is not going to work in these days. It has to be a body of Christ coming together and working together. And that's how we're going to really pull through. And I think the irony will be, I remember years ago I used to work in historical records and I had to like get all these, uh, award these medals to these people during the Second World War. And the amount of letters that I got saying how people actually, some people didn't, but a lot of the people said they loved the war. Not because of what was going on, but because of the camaraderie and because of the unity in the community that it brought, which has now been completely evaporated and gone. You know, every neighbour wants to put a fence up between his garden and the next. That wasn't a thing back then. Everyone just shared. They did allotments together. They ploughed the ground together. And so that's what we're coming into. Although it's a crucible that will, that will be difficult, it will actually force us and encourage us to become the body of Christ again. And to be people that love each other and help each other rather than us living our own little lives with our own little TV and our own little private space. So I think things are going to change quite radically. Yeah. Well, anymore? Is that it? Yeah, right at the back there. What did he say? Okay, yeah, what about water and communications? So with water, Water takes up an awful lot of space. So I personally think it's actually a really inefficient way of using space by storing water. So what we did uh, for my household is we just bought this, um, who's it by, that filter, water filter? Sorry? A Berkeley, yeah, that's yeah. it, a Berkeley. Um, is that a Berkey or a Berkeley? Berkeley, Berkey, yeah. So we just bought this and it's, it's uh, got a filtration system in it that you could just pour literally uh, swamp water in there and what will come out will be minus all the parasites and stuff and just be pure water. So I've gone for that option in a sense of, instead of having like cupboards full of water, which you know is just probably not practical, but just have a really good water filter, filtration system so that that can give you water. And then what was the other thing he asked? Communication. Communication. Um, yeah, so, I mean, we haven't got done this yet, but things like um, CB radio, Citizens Band radio, they're good ways of, like, you've got a 20-mile radius, you can con contact people, you know, the old uh, sort of walkie-talkies that you can get that have got, like, a good 15-mile range, stuff like that. Uh, things like that, because I don't know what phone if phones will be up or down, but things like that are great backups and resources. So, again, it can keep you in contact and keep you in community, and, you know, so when you know when to meet up and stuff. But that, that's what I would do, basically. Yeah, anything else? 
Okay, right. One more question and we'll, we'll call it a day. All right. Lord Jesus, we thank you for tonight, Lord God. I know this is, I'm sorry guys, I know this is a bit heavy, <laughs> but it, we are living in serious times. And that's why we've called it for such a time as this. These are, these are serious times that we're coming into. And Lord, we do pray, Lord God, you raised Esther for such a time that she was in, Lord God. You raised Joseph, you raised Daniel, Lord Jesus. You raised all these people for such a time. And Lord God, I pray for all of these people here right now. I want you all to stand. Actually, I felt I should do this earlier. Lord God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that what we have here is a Joseph generation, a people that, that, uh, that are ahead of, the, head of the head of the curve, that are people that are willing to be used by God to be ready for the times in which we're coming into. People that have seen visions, people that have had dreams, people that know something's coming, people that have spoken to deaf ears, but people that know things are coming. And Lord, I pray, Father, that you will pour out your blessing on all of these people, Lord Jesus. Lord God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will give them more dreams and more visions and more clarification as to what you want them to do with their lives. Lord God, where they're based. Lord, I pray you give them great wisdom, Lord Jesus, that they can be a Joseph generation to their local community to their region Lord God I pray you use these people Lord God for your glory Lord I thank you that the church like like the, the days of Gideon Lord Jesus Lord you're going to save uh, you're going to save your people through a little itty bitty remnant Lord Jesus of crazy misfits the crazy people that thought they heard God and just stuck to their guns and just stood with it and God wants to say thank you Thank you that you've trusted me. Thank you that you've stayed with it. Thank you that you've, you've uh, received persecution from me. Thank you that you've had uh, cold shoulders from me. Thank you that people have misunderstood you for standing up for me. And you know, in your, that, you know that you know that what you have seen is coming. You know that you know that you know that you are living in a generation where you are going to see these things coming. You know that you know that you know you are going to see revival in your lifetime. You know these things are coming. Everyone in this room, you know that it's coming. And I believe God just wants to reward you and he just wants to say, thank you for standing tall. Thank you for standing strong for me. Because the time is coming and the time is very close at hand now where I am going to use you to shield people. I'm going to use you to help people. I'm going to use you to be the very people that will raise and plant churches and raise and help this nation come back. Some of you throughout this, throughout this nation that have this calling will become politicians. Some of you will come into places of, of all kinds of power in government. Some, some of you will be called into education. Some of you will be called into church planting. Some of you will be called to, lay, to plant houses of prayer. And God wants to use you people in extraordinary and remarkable ways. Hallelujah, Lord. Lord, I pray you bless these people. And I pray that you help us, Lord God. Lord, because we are still very much blind. And I pray you lead us and guide us, Lord. It's a faith venture. And I pray, Lord God, as we take a step forward, Lord, that you'll just put the road under our feet. And each step we take, we see more and more of the road map, Lord God. Lord, that we can be your Josephs to this generation, that we can protect your people and we can protect Egypt as well. And all the saints said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm sorry it's been a long one, guys, but bless you all. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow for our Sunday service. Amen.